All right, welcome to the conversation on TYT Network. Great guest for you guys, Ryan Grimm, Washington Bureau Chief of The Intercept, TYT contributor. Why am I talking like Chris Matthews? No one knows. All right, let's get started. Ryan, we're gonna talk a lot about the progressive moderate wars. In fact, I think it breaks up into three different camps and The Intercept's been covering it. You elicited one of the greatest quote political quotes of all time. We'll get to all that, but first, breaking news, at least as we're recording this. Uh, it looks like Ron Klain's been um, picked as chief of staff for Joe Biden. Uh, I say great news because uh, I have it on some authority that Ron Klain uh, is an open-minded guy and and will hear progressives out. What do you hear in Washington and among progressives? Uh, will they be excited by this? Well, uh, yes, I think the, I think the ones who are still able to be excited by anything that goes on with the Biden administration. Would will will be very excited by this because you have to you know first of all you have to narrow your 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 demands or your not your demands but you have to narrow your expectations about what Biden is actually going to do and so for his chief of staff role you are looking at Ron Klain or a couple of like austerity loving corporate stooges you know those those were basically the three choices between you know him Bruce Reed and Steve Reschetti Steve Reschetti like an actual you know ongoing you know basically ongoing lobbyist and and Bruce Reed who was you know one of the leading like advocates of austerity throughout the 90s and 2000s so of those three he's far and away the the best choice but even even aside from that just on the merits he's 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 one of the people in Washington who's known if you know, not not as a kind of corporate sellout, and and also as somebody who's just actually very good at what he does, and that's something that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez talked about recently when she was criticizing the DCCC and Democrats broadly for how they fared in the elections. She's like, look, I'm not saying you actually have to embrace everything that I do ideologically. I'm saying what you need is a baseline level of competency to fend off the Republicans. And you know, even that is something that is seen as 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 uh, ideologically hostile. You know, who you know who who is she to tell us how to how to run a campaign? But Ron Klain is you know his friends and enemies alike would say is just good at organizing things, at lead at 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 leading people, but doing it in a way that actually accomplishes whatever the objective is that's set out. Rather than just aggrandizing himself, because in Washington you got a lot of people who are elevated as as great leaders, but then you dig in deeper and you find out, no, what they're actually really good at is is acting like a leader on television, or 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 kind of portraying themselves as you might think a a a leader would look like in a movie, like a Rahm Emanuel type, you know, that you you think of what 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 like a tough guy sounds like in a in a in a movie. Yeah. Whereas Ron Klein, he, he's actually good at getting things done. And the best that people can really hope for from a Biden administration is getting things done. And the thing you want done is to get this pandemic taken care of in, in, the, in, the, best, in the best way possible. Because you know, no, no, nowhere in the world is, is dealing with it very well right now. You know, we can look at Europe with envy for a lot of its social democratic policies and its more rational governing strategy. They're struggling hard. With this right now, uh, you know, there's a vaccine on the horizon. We we need to save as many lives as we can between now and the time that that vaccine is actually 
deployed around the country and deploying it is its own logistical nightmare. And, yeah. to, and to know that there could be somebody like Ron Klain who's on top of that, it should be a, a comforting thought relative to what we have sitting right now in the Oval Office and, and in the offices outside of it. Right, and he handled this for the Obama administration during Ebola. So he is well versed in how to deal with epidemics and obviously handled it a billion times better than the Trump administration <laughs> did. And, and for progressives, the reason they're excited about this pick is mainly because it means it's not an act of war as right. the first act, right? Uh, Iran Klain is is not who you would describe as a progressive. Uh, so it's not like, yay, uh, you know, Ilhan Omar's brother is now chief of staff for Joe Biden. No, right? I don't. By the way, I have no idea the politics of Ilhan Omar's brother, <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, but he's infinitely better than the other two, and and signals that. At least we're gonna have a rational voice who's willing to hear everybody out, and that's really important. So that's good news. And what and what what people should realize is that you know this is there's two good signs in this. One, the knock on Biden is that he can't make a decision. That he that he's this incredibly indecisive person who barely even had a field director in Iowa until the caucuses because he couldn't decide on you know on who to put out there, couldn't decide on you know whether he was gonna run, when he was gonna run. The fact that he made a decision at all. <laughs> it portends well, but the fact that he forgave Ron Klain for ditching him last time around and and going with uh, with with Hillary Clinton in in 2016 is it is also uh, it also bodes well because you know Biden is also known a little bit as somebody that holds holds grudges. And so he overcame kind of two of the things that people hold as knocks against him, his indecisiveness and and holding uh, grudges against people. And so yeah. You know that 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 really does bode well if he's actually making decent decisions. Let's turn to what happened with Connor Lamb and and Spanberger. Um, look, I, I don't think that it's uh, was a coordinated strategy, um, but I want to ask about that. So, is it just instinctual for? And and then we'll get to as quickly as we can to the progressive response which came out today. Um, so. Um, do we think that it was a, a just instinctual on the part of of conservative Democrats that as soon as an election is over and they didn't do well, they immediately point their finger at progressives because they hate taking personal responsibility and it's just in their gut? Or was this the plan all along to throw us under the bus? Oh, come this way, come this way, progressives. Yeah, oh yeah, we're going to work together. And then as soon as the election is over, it's their fault. I think in a significant way it's instinctual but in the in the sense of it being long planned i think it it was that they were they were burying their feelings deep you know for a for a very long time i think they they i think they wanted to say this you know much earlier but they recognized that before the election is a, is an utterly terrible time you know to to pick and pick an interparty war and so uh, in in that sense they waited spanbergers in in you know, an interesting case because not only did she win in 2018, she won again in in 2020, and I and I vividly recall back in I guess the early fall of of 2018, former TYT producer Eric Byler and I were driving through Virginia with 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 two missions. One was we were going to interview Leslie Coburn. And follow her around, and we were going to interview um, Abigail Spanberger. That was our that was our plan as we went out in Virginia. And these were two 
candidates that were both trying to unseat Republicans. Spanberger was doing it with, with a more kind of traditional approach. Coburn was doing it with a more progressive approach. And everything was lined up and uh, Spanberger's team just uh, kind of stopped returning phone calls even though they had even though they had even though they had set it up. And so we ended up only doing Coburn and just then heading back to Washington. And I and I realized later that it, it was it was a strategic decision that they had they had decided that you know this that they were not interested in in having TYT covering them or in the kind of late or early early to mid fall of of the campaign and that's that's just that's that's kind of Spanberg's tactical approach to how she wants to position herself in her district in Virginia and this only benefits her more or or she or only benefits that strategy more you know she believes that if she can pick public fights with the squad and with the left that then she can use those fights in her next reelection campaign to to further distance herself from the left wing of the Democratic Party yeah well good then uh, uh, we won't feel bad about using the strategy of picking a fight with her uh, so love it yeah, and, and in fact, I'm gonna get to that in a second, and I'm afraid we're gonna run out of time. But look, if the folks at home were paying attention, if you notice, there was no Joe Biden on TYT during the election, there was no Kamala Harris, and there was not even any surrogates. It was not for lack of asking. So yes, these are strategies, and so it's it's not unclear. And so now to that point, the conservative Democrats attacking progressives both immediately after an election and at any time is very normal in Washington. But what's not normal is that today progressives decide to strike back. And that almost never happens, especially with elected legislators. But yes, Sunrise Movement, Just Democrats and Rashida Tlaib in particular come out and say, no, we're we're gonna fight back. So what does that mean and what did they say today? Well, it is really a brand new world in the sense that not only are progressives fighting back, you know they're they're coming with with data and and they're coming with arguments and they're kind of calling the bluff of a lot of these centrists to say look if if you think that your approach to winning majorities is better lay it on the line um, you know tell us like show show us in the data where it is that that your message is resonated and our message uh, you know hurt or didn't didn't resonate because we have the opposite data here is how uh, we 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 performed when it came to voter turnout in these cities. Here is how, uh, you know, here, here's how people received received our message, and here's who won. So bring it. So yeah, it is a new day. Yeah, and so uh, they we're out of time, but they they asked for a number of well, they actually picked uh, every cabinet position and said these are the people that we would like: Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and. and uh, Stiglitz, all these wonderful progressives are on the list. And my point there is why not? I mean, progressives are so beat down in DC that like when they put out a list of like, here's the people we would like, people are like, are they allowed to do that? Of course we're allowed to do that. So I'm I love that finally somebody like Representative Rashida Tlaib came out and said, no, I'm done getting beat up. Now now we fight back. And so it's a, to me, it's a great day in America. All right, we're out of time. But Ryan, known of course for Washington Bureau Chief of the Intercept, TYT contributor, 
perhaps infamous for all of that, but now mainly known claim to fame as the guy who asked the question that led to Ilhan Omar saying uh, Trump effed around and found out. Um, <laughs> Put it on his tombstone. Right, and by the way, everybody check out the Deconstructed podcast that Ryan Grimm is now hosting for uh, The Intercept. Ryan, thank you, brother, appreciate it. All right, thanks, Jenk. All right, back on a conversation, Cenk Uger with you guys. Uh, and joining me now, Ken Klippenstein, uh, reporter for The Nation, uh, obviously former contributor to TYT, uh, and overall swell guy. Uh, and also a bit of a jokester uh, on Twitter, uh, and he did it again. Uh, we're gonna talk about serious topics, but first, fun. Uh, so poor Rich Cannell, uh, what did you do to him? Uh, and, uh, and, and why should he have known better? <laughs> So Richard Grinnell was President Trump's appointment to acting director. Remember, President Trump doesn't like to get Senate confirmation. He's not big on co-equal branches of government and thinking Congress should have some say in what goes on. But in any case, he put Richard Grinnell in as acting director of national intelligence, which is a very high ranking position within the intelligence community. This contains within it the CIA, National Counterterrorism Center, all of these very spooky agencies that are given extraordinary power. Um, and <laughs> it being Veterans Day today, I just was, you know, at a few moments and just kind of as a uh, goof, a troll, if you will, I sent, I sent Grinnell a uh, picture of William Calley, uh, the convicted uh, killer in the uh, My Lai massacre in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And, and this, this story sort of um, emblemized a lot of the, uh, you know, horrible, uh, uh, crimes against humanity and 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 you know bloodshed in, in that war. And I said, oh, you know, here's my here's my grandpa. Uh, can I get a retweet for him? He served in Vietnam, and I even described him as Bill Kelly. And he ended up retweeting that, which was sort of scary because it's like, well, this guy had all this power in you know this very high level intelligence agency, and he doesn't know basic facts about history about the Vietnam War that uh, you know plenty of high school kids could tell you. I was sort of freaked out to be honest. Yeah, um, one of these days you're gonna get him to do a shout out to Genghis Khan. Uh, so <laughs> who'd you get? You got Steve King to do a shout out for Colonel Jessup. That's right, from a few good men. That was, and I was amazed. I was a little horrified by that too because that's Jack Nicholson in one of the most iconic scenes <laughs> in American film. Like what? Um, all right, maybe we get him to do a shout out to Lewis Cipher. Um, you remember that? I don't know. You is probably too old for you, but the, the Robert De Niro, um, not Cape Fear, the one before Angel Heart, where I, Robert De Niro plays the devil. Uh, <laughs> so think about that one next, okay? Uh, my 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 grandpa Louis Cipher, uh, from down in Louisiana. <laughs> anyway, um, so on to serious stuff. Uh, I I didn't give you a. a we're warning about uh, this topic, but uh, let me just dive into it and see uh, what you've got. So um, the Trump got rid of Esper. So Defense Secretary Esper, uh, he wrote was terminated on Twitter, and that's how he fired him because that he that's the kind of clown that he is. Uh, he tells someone else in the government, go through a process, don't just tweet it anyway. Uh, but then. Uh, Four other officials were either fired or resigned, including Esper's chief of staff. The chief of staff is not surprising, but and also the policy head was, and he replaced by a well-known lunatic, Anthony Tata, or as I once called him in an interview, Tata. Um, 
anyway, so uh, you cover national security issues, Ken. Uh, is there reason to be concerned about four senior officials at the Pentagon being replaced by Trump uh, in the lame duck session when he has not conceded? Absolutely, and this is the attitude of folks on the inside, and not just you know partisan Democrats. Uh, I have sources with access to what's going on in these agencies telling me uh, that in addition to that, uh, he reassigned the general counsel of the National Security Agency, the NSA, which does all sorts of sophisticated wiretapping and signals intercepts, uh, you know, generally overseas and on military adversaries, but they have extraordinarily powerful. I mean, they're probably the best in the world at this. Um, they reassigned the general counsel. That's the lawyer that kind of says, here's what's legal, here's what's not legal, here's how we conform with um, you know, American law. He got rid of him too, and what I'm hearing from folks inside is that um, you know they they have concerns that uh, this means that the administration might try to leak signals intercepts to allies in Congress, uh, and it's not clear exactly what about whether it's about Hunter Biden or it's about you know so-called Obamagate. Um, but when you get rid of not just the general counsel of the NSA, but as you said, the Secretary of Defense and his chief of staff, and you put in a chief of staff that's extremely um, you know, uh, simpatico with the White House and uh, with Trump world in a way that the defense secretary they appointed was not, I understand. The defense secretary they put in isn't quite that bad. But what I'm told is that the chief of staff actually has the authority to work with the NSA to disclose these types of uh, signals and intercepts that they're getting. Um, and, you know, these are guys that are in a position to know about this kind of thing. I haven't, you know, had enough time to, uh, you know, suss out specifics about what is exactly going on, but that's the general impression that I get that there's some spooky stuff going on. Uh, that the president wants to do. That's not just, um, uh, you know, uh, trying to get back at people that he didn't like. Maybe he had some personal vendetta with, um, with, with Esper. No, it appears to go beyond that. Yeah. So, um, Ken, it looks like there's three possible options. Uh, and by the way, for the folks at home who are wondering, well, why, why are you saying a former Brigadier General like uh, Anthony Tata is a well-known lunatic? He, uh, I can prove it to you guys. He uh, called Obama a terrorist leader. Uh, he thought he that he Obama was a Manchurian candidate working for Hamas, like cuckoo for cocoa puffs, like total full-blown lunatic in charge of policy at the Pentagon as we speak. Um, so, and by the way, he threatened to murder uh, the former CIA director John Brennan, including by hanging and it's and shooting him in the head. Just totally nuts. Uh, so now the three possibilities, Ken, for why Trump is bothering to replace very important people in national security. Uh, one, which I find hilarious, is oh he wanted to get rid of Esper because he disagrees with him on a policy about Afghanistan, and then there's the general policy about. You know, uh, NSA, et cetera, and any kind of policy consideration. The idea that Donald Trump right now, barricaded in his bunker, desperately trying to cling on to power, is doing moves based on policy is so funny that, again, you'd have to be nearly Kata to believe such an insane idea. There's no way it's because of that. So we're moving on to the other two possibilities. And one is what you're saying. What signals are you intercepting? Who are you giving it to? There's a theory that he really needs the F-35 deal with the United Arab Emirates to go through because of what he promised them and what they might have promised him either earlier or after he stops becoming president. And then of course the second theory is he's moving people into place just in case. And so I'm worried that a coup is not at all, it's not, Definite, it's not even close to likely, 
But it's on the board, why the hell would a lame duck president be moving these really important positions in national security when he's got 70 days left in office? Yeah, I have no idea if the signal stuff I described is by any means the only thing that they plan to do. That could be one of several things that he's you know, seeking to do. That's just what I was told and what I happen to know about. Another concern I would have is, is he gonna do a quick targeted strike on Iran or something like that? Could he target you know, facilities where they're developing uranium? Could he do something in the you know last stretch that he had and the Republicans had sort of signaled to you know, Israel that they would help with. Um, that's something that I think is extremely concerning. Uh, and so none of this is mutually exclusive. It can be all of the above. It could be that he had a personal problem with Esper as well. All of those things are possible. Um, but uh, what we have to remember no, is that no, even if- can. So the personal problem with Esper is real, uh, and but it spawned from Esper saying, no, I'm not gonna use the military right. inside America, and I'm not gonna use it against our own citizens. So I mean, it's those two things might be connected. But if it was just Esper, I wouldn't even think that it was an issue. But getting rid of four people plus the guy at the NSA, no, that's a plan as much as Trump can plan anything. And so that's then we gotta uncover why is he doing that? Because that's coordinated. I agree with you. And I and and um what's interesting about the NSA general counsel, that's a very technical you know position for a person to have and for him to get rid of someone in a position that you know that's not someone we see on TV every day that's not someone ordinary people think about i would venture a guess that president trump doesn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the um you know technical side of things if he's getting rid of him yeah that seems to suggest that there's some sort of plan afoot and from what i'm told um there's resistance even from william barr about what exactly is going on and that is extremely frightening because William Barr has been, you know, more than happy to assist Trump with surging Department of Homeland Security resources to locales where the state and local officials didn't want them. For example, the protests in Portland—they sent federal units there against the wishes of state and local government. So, if, as I'm told, Barr doesn't want to go ahead with whatever it is going is going on, that should be a big red flag, I think. Wow! If Barr is not on board, that means it's. Full blown mental. We're not just talking about authoritarian tendencies. We're talking about something deeply troubling. I mean, Barr said yes to everything you could imagine, including what a lot of people, including me and all rational people, if you ask me, think were serious crimes. And he was okay with all that. And he was okay with just now saying yes, the Justice Department will get involved in local elections, which is unprecedented. If Barr has drawn the line, can I, okay, look, I guess let me ask you this. I don't have to ask you if we should be really concerned. I'm already really concerned. <laughs> um, so just a last quick thing, dive into the signals thing. What is, I don't know what that means. I understand sending the selling the jets, the UAE wants them. They, they then do a real estate deal with Donald Trump after he leaves office. That's a possibility, we don't know that, but okay, that's at least, Plausible given what who Trump is. Coup is crazy talk, except he is crazy and he always tests his limits. And maybe he's testing his limits. It wouldn't work anyway, blah, blah, blah. I don't need to get into that. But what does it mean to, to take the signals and who would he, I still don't get who he would give it to and what he would get out of it. Yeah, so when I say signals, I mean um, hacked phone calls, hacked emails, the sort of stuff we saw with the Edward Snowden disclosures, what the NSA is capable of doing. What we've seen from Trump and his associates over the last several weeks, right up till today, is the repeated assertion that we are going to declassify everything as the sun said. We are going to release the truth and you will know the truth. And whether or not these documents say what he thinks 
what what you know he's claiming they do. He appears to believe it. I don't think that he's lying when he says that he thinks that this stuff is going to show some kind of um, you know huge. Uh, 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 scandal or something. So uh, the, the problem with that is when you release these cables, that can, uh, you know, if you're using sensitive sources, if you're using spies to get these kinds of things, that could get them in big trouble. Not to mention the privacy implications and the politicization of these extremely sophisticated systems that um, were never, you know, uh, supposed to be used for partisan ends. So uh, it's extremely frightening, and I think that it can be connected to the concerns you raised about a coup, because maybe he thinks that this stuff can you know, vindicate him or make Biden look illegitimate or make the election look illegitimate. I don't know, all I know is that that's part of the, part of the what appears to be part of the plot here. When you allow the government to spy on everyone, as Snowden showed and proved, and then you get a guy like Donald Trump, and then you get a guy like Donald Trump with no brakes left in the car who's absolutely desperate. That is a recipe for disaster. And now he's replaced the professional in charge with one of his cronies. Oh Boy, buckle up, brace for impact. I don't know what kind of damage you can do in 70 days, but we might find out. All right, Ken Klippenstein from The Nation, thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Great to be with you, Jack.